0: A lot of the artists I was hearing in bands were, seemed to me like they were thinking very small. And then I heard X Ambassadors and I just thought, God, this could be bigger than Coldplay or U2 or something. Wow. So she introduced me to them. I loved the EP, met with them. Um, they told me that all of these, a bunch of managers were uh, were chasing them and stuff. So I I went to see them play. Um, was blown away by their performance and there was probably five people in the
1: room. How are managers chasing a band when they're only bringing five people to a show in New York? I don't understand that.
0: You know, then we started working together and I think about a year later, one of them said to me, Seth, there were no other managers. There was was maybe one we were kind of talking to, but they were like, we just really needed a manager. So we Ah. just decided to, to play you. This episode is brought to you by DistroKid.
1: DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features annual fee, unlimited uploads, and you keep 100% of your royalties. Check out distrokid.com. What's going on? Welcome to the New Music Business Podcast. I'm your host, Ari Herstand, author of How to Make It in the New Music Business and creator of Ari's Take Academy. This episode, uh, this is the first time that we've done this. This is uh, a live episode virtually, uh, live on Zoom, and we invited AriES Tech Academy students to be a part of this, and uh, they were able to ask questions at the end of this episode. This episode is with Seth Callen. He's an artist manager. Uh, He represents J.P. Sachs, one of my favorites, Ex Ambassadors, Jukebox, The Ghost, and many others. And this is, uh, we got into a really interesting conversation. Um, He talks about how to get opening slots on tours, kind of how he was relentless early on, and how... He kind of uh, got his footing as a manager and then gave a lot of really practical tips for artists and managers today on how to succeed with a music career. And we discussed sync licensing, we discussed touring, we discussed creating during quarantine and what that looks like and how people are, are making it work these days. So this was a great, great discussion, and uh, stick around to the very end for the questions from some of these students. Uh, they asked really excellent questions. We even had somebody from Moscow ask a question, and uh, he gave uh, very knowledgeable answers to them. And it's uh, it's a really insightful conversation. He was so generous with his with knowledge and wisdom, and uh, I I had a great time with this. So as always, uh, please subscribe or like or follow this podcast, however you're listening to this right now. If you haven't already, please leave a review. Those really help in Apple Podcasts, if you're using Apple Podcasts. And follow me on Instagram. It's at Ari's Take or my personal one at Ari Hurstan, where I'm posting a lot of new music. On Twitter, it's at Ari's Take. And, of course, the website is ariestake.com, a fully new revamped website. Check it out if you haven't yet. And you can sign up for the email list there, and we send out an email every time we post a new episode. All right. Well, let's kick into the interview. Seth, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you for having me. Hi. Hello, hello.
1: Um, Where are you coming to us from? Where, Where are you quarantining right now?
0: I am quarantining in uh, Los Angeles in, uh, in Atwater Village. So
1: um, how, I'm curious, before we kind of like get into management and what management is and your artists and all that cool stuff and your story and all that amazing stuff, I just want to kind of hear um, how it's been for you the last few months uh, having to stay quarantined um, and and how you're able to kind of continue your career as a manager in quarantine are you talking your artists much how's it going for them just like how has life shifted in the last few months
0: yeah i mean it's uh it's shifted in a pretty extreme way i mean on (laughs) on the personal side to be honest i've been really enjoying being home and i'm a pretty uh I think, like you said in, your bi- in, in the bio, I, I keep pretty close relationships with my artists. So I'm pretty constantly on the road. Um, and, you know, whether that's traveling for, to New York for meetings or, or going to festivals abroad or, or whatnot, I mean, I'm honestly on a flight typically every, on average, every two weeks. So this has been really nice just being in one place. Hmm. and just focused on my work and and just honestly at home and i've been enjoying it but um you know it's weird it's funny yesterday actually i uh i kind of i've obviously left the house a few times to whether it's to do some errands and that kind of thing but i went out to a music video shoot for an artist and it was like a socially distanced music video shoot you know everybody was 10 feet apart it was all shot outside but it was wow it was a little it was a little bit of a weird mm-hmm. feeling getting back into the groove of of kind of doing music business related tasks around other yeah. people i wasn't used to it but yeah. it's kind of was a shock to my system because normally mm-hmm. you know my normal the last 10 years of my life has just been every couple weeks on a flight on a tour bus you know mm-hmm. both for fun or for business or whatever so it's been um it's been an interesting experience not being able to in person with the artist specifically. Um, So you spend quite
1: a bit of time typically in person with the artist? Because I I know, you know, you know, tour managers obviously are on the road with the artist for the whole duration of the tour. Artist managers typically aren't but i I know it it, there's a a wide range i know artists who do pop in the bus for most of the tour uh and i I, you know when when artist managers start with the band they're like the fifth member of the band and they they book the tour and join the tour how how has it been for you now that you kind of establish yourself as a manager what is kind of how does that go for you
0: i mean i always say that i'll i'll go to the important things or the fun things often they're (laughs) the same (laughs) you know so so you know it's like i'm on the bus with ex ambassadors a lot and that's partly because you know if they're playing a new market or a new country for the first time i like to be there i like to meet the local reps from say universal in germany or switzerland or russia or or whatever cool but also it's fun i mean i i i love music and I love being an artist manager, but also yeah. my passion is travel and seeing the world and seeing uh, music through the eyes of other people. So, you know, last year when um, ex when Ambassadors had a big European tour that ended with some shows in, in uh, Russia and the Ukraine... You know, I I always go to their shows in London, for example, because it's a big market and it's it's the center of the you sure. know British and European music industry. Probably you, you know you could say so. So that was at the beginning of the tour, mm-hmm. but at the end of the tour they're playing in Moscow, and so I thought, well, I'm not going to miss that. That's cool. Right. They're going to play to three thousand people in Russia. I, I yeah. just you know I want to <laughs> see that. So had I you just been to went. Had you been to Russia before? I'd never been to Russia, um, so it's just. You know, worked out great. And I like to do that a lot. And Mm -hmm. my wife is a photographer. So she she's always willing to sort of travel with me or shoot some of the artists or we work together pretty often. So that makes it that makes it easy. You know, Um, kids? No, no. Okay. Okay. Well I mean I manage I manage a bunch of artists so that's like <laughs> hey! I have about 40 children so <laughs> right,
1: right. That's cool. Well that's yeah. nice to hear that that travel is is your passion. And so it's kind of you don't yeah. feel like um it's required of you necessarily to go to all these shows but uh you enjoy it. And that's I mean it's nice to hear that you've found um a balance and a way where you can still um, do the things that you're passionate about and that you enjoy. I think a lot of people in the music industry, no matter what job you are, kind of fall into a routine of how they have to do it or how it has to be and then they start hating doing that, and they've lost yeah. track of why they're in it and what they love. but it seems that you still are enjoying it after all these years
0: yeah, I love it, and that's the that's the part I love and and frankly, I also you know, I just wrote this piece on this that I posted on medium, um, that, you know, anyone's welcome to check out, but I was doing that in the show notes. Great. Great. Yeah. I mean, I, I was doing some deeper thinking about, about what I actually miss from sort of pre quarantine work life. And there's a lot I really couldn't care less about. And there's a lot I don't miss at all. And there's a lot of you know, meetings that very well could be phone calls that very well could be Zooms now. So a lot of that I've, I've really gone, you know, what I don't, I don't miss that. I don't miss a lot of these lame networking things or events mm. or shows, but I, but what I really miss is seeing the artists that I work with perform live. Mm. And, you know, so therefore that's kind of, um, that goes hand in hand with, with traveling pretty often because, You know, like I said about the ex-ambassadors when they went to um, to Russia, you know, I I get such a joy out of watching them perform on stage. And Mm -hmm. that's my real love is being in the live, you know, feeling something live. So, you know, it's often what what happens in my brain is like, well, I want to see. People in in you know Mexico sing along to a Salvador song, or I want to see yeah. people in Brazil sing along to J P Sacks. So yeah. I'm the first one to get on the plane to go just be a part of that because it's my it's just what brings me the most joy.
1: I, I completely relate. I think we're all feeling that right now. I mean you know, in a normal week, I'm out seeing live music four nights a week around Los Angeles. Like I love going to see music here, supporting the community, my friends here. Uh, If I'm not performing, I'm out seeing a show. And that's kind of how it's always been because I love it. And I think so much of us, like, we're we're feeling very deprived right now. And um, artists that I've been talking to who uh, live on stage it's especially difficult for them because it's kind of a, a a loss of identity almost. It's like they, they feel such a connection in life. And, um, with the, that the, with the audience, it's like the audience is a love. It's like, if you were ripped away from your lover, uh, who you, who you got to know and, and absolutely love and have been with for years and you're ripped away and you're not able to see them call them interact with them facetime nothing that's hard and live streaming shows they're not cutting it Yeah, (laughs) like that shit is just like you know i i i co-founded uh uncanceled music festival um you know the whole live stream festival and like we got a bunch of artists and i know jukebox the ghost played that and everything and like you know it was like oh this is we did it right when quarantine started was like this is the solution and then as we were talking to it and I played a couple live streaming shows, I'm like, man, this is, this is not a replacement for live music. You cannot replace that physical electric energy of being in the club.
0: It's been, uh, it's been a strange thing, I think, for, for the, the industry side and for the artists to experience this live streaming thing. There's, there's I think, some interesting new ideas that are going to come, come of it. I think there's mm-hmm. um, a lot of artists are having a good time with, certain live streams they're doing. And, you know, JP, for example, I was talking to to him yesterday and he, he was like, you know, I really love doing my weekly Instagram live and I have fans chatting all around the world and I can just like be myself and be silly and it's really easy going. And, you know, and, and so I think there's some, there's artists that are enjoying parts of it, but, but definitely that, I don't know. I mean, this, the, the feeling of, being on the side of the stage, watching, you know, an artist sing in front of, I don't know, 50,000 people. When, when for me, I remember, you know, I have these experiences of finding this artist or starting to work with this artist when they were playing in front of maybe 15 people. And then I can, Mm -hmm. and then when I can see it turn into main stage at Lollapalooza or sold out Brooklyn steel, or, you know, it's, it's, that's when I go, that's sort of for me, my barometer of like, you know, okay, we've done something great here. Yeah,
1: that's awesome. So um, before we, I, I want to get into that, like the the story of seeing an artist, uh, where it played 15 people, and then Lollapalooza. But uh, before we get in, just um, for people who, you know, for listeners who um, may not have a strong handle on what an artist manager is or does, let's just break it down to the very basics of it all can you uh can you explain what an artist manager is and and what you do
0: I'm still trying to figure it out to be honest, but <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love it there's um, this uh when, yeah. when Rick Rubin was on uh, Tim Ferriss's podcast, and Tim Ferriss is like so what does a, a what does a producer do and Rick Rubin, as you know one of the most famous yeah. producers in on planet earth, was like, uh, I have no idea I can tell you what I do, but I don't know right. what a producer does <laughs> yeah,
0: I mean well okay, for, so what for do those? you do yeah <laughs> so i uh, I always, there's one thing I do say to everybody who is, I'm trying to explain what an artist manager is, um, you know, I say we're, we're typically not an expert on anything, but we know a little bit about everything. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm the mouthpiece for the artist to the rest of the music industry. So what I love about it is, you know, it's sort of, it's sort of you and the artist against the world or, Mm -hmm. you know, so, um, you're the you're the the i don't know to use a football analogy you're the quarterback of the team or you're the general of the army or whatever it is i mean my job is to is to get to know any artist i'm choosing to work with or that's choosing to work with me really understand their their ambitions their hopes their dreams their understand their music understand where they sort of fit in culturally where they you know, and that sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. And it's it's to help them find their audience. And then it's to help build a team around them that can, that are experts in a number of things, whether it's touring or merch or, you know, releasing music and marketing and, and work with all those people. And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the artists I work with, of course, also work closely with those the team around them um including myself but mm-hmm. it's really sort of the artist manager's job to, to yeah just really understand what the artist is trying to do and you know someone told me once very early on they said never forget that you work for the artist the artist doesn't work for you so you know and and i'm sure not all managers feel that way you know some managers find it but, you know, a new talent, a new band, a new singer, um, and sort of say, I think you're great. This is how it's going to be done, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas that's not my style at all. I, I find a, a both a you know, music I love and a human being I love. And then um, I say, I'm, I'm here to serve you and to sort of figure out where you want to go. And mm-hmm. I'm going to do everything in my power to help you get there. And I always work for you you know, there might be times where we butt heads and we disagree on how to get you there, right? Sure. So there, there are definitely times when, you know, I say, hey, this is, I think we're making the wrong decision or I think we should release this song, not this song, or I think we should, you know, whatever, do choose this music video director over this one. And, but at the end of the day, I always take a step back and go, this is, this is your career, this Jeez. is your art, this is your music, you know, yeah. you, you know I'll help you get where you want to go.
1: Mm. So you're a part of uh, a lot of that process. And it seems like you're even there for part of the creative decisions, uh, music video director or, you know, um, and kind of the, the release schedule and strategy. And, and I guess what parts um, are you in the room when, when they're writing the songs? Like what parts are you there for? And what parts are you not there for necessarily?
0: You know yesterday, actually, I was talking to another manager friend of mine who manages a number of um, successful songwriters and producers, and we were just chatting, we we're always catching up and we were I forget I was telling him about some conversation I had with an artist, and he goes, "Don't you ever feel like you have to be a chameleon when you manage multiple artists?" and he goes, "You hang up with one guy and then you pick up a call from the next and you suddenly feel like you're a different person and mm. And, and that really stuck with me because every artist I work with, I work with in a different capacity, you know, um, hmm. whether it's, uh, I don't know, you know, for X ambassadors, I obviously work with them closely on the music, but often, you know, they're pretty self-contained when it comes to what they want to do and their vision for the music. And sometimes,
1: what do you mean sometimes you work Sam, closely on the music?
0: Like, I will, like, I'm always, um, they're always sending me ideas and demos and things like that. But the truth is, is that, you know, occasionally there's even times where Sam will send me this really crazy song and I'll go, dude, I, this is, I I don't know what's going on here. This is really confusing to me. And then he'll be like. (laughs) Okay. That means it's really cool. (laughs) (laughs) You know, he's like, if you don't get it because you listen to Bob Dylan and Jackson Brown all day, like then that means it's, it's awesome. And And for
1: people who don't know, uh, I just want to prep everybody. You're a singer songwriter. You're an artist. You started as a singer songwriter. And so like you have those songwriting chops and artist chops. And so, you know, you feel it and you can actually, you know, go head to head with, with them.
0: Yeah. And so, and so again, with, with, with each artist, it's, it's so different, right? With, with the X ambassadors guys, I work with them on the music production process only to a certain extent because they're just, they're they really build everything in their own world. Sam has one of the most amazing just visions for what he wants to do. And he knows exactly how he's going to get there and, and mm-hmm. knows exactly the music he wants to be doing. And I give ideas. I say like, Hey, why don't you try this? Or should you, do you want to work with this person? But on the flip side, you know, I'll have times where I don't know jukebox the ghost will send me a demo and I'll just listen to it and I'll say hey okay here's my thoughts you know this this lyric seems a little throwaway why don't you change this or cool. you know ben you're singing lower in your register do you guys want to maybe just attempt changing the key just and and yell the chorus instead of whisper the chorus and nice. and so each artist is completely different with how I work with them on the music and that that same thing goes for You know all of the creative, whether it's music videos or um, I don't know what the tour production looks like. So it's yeah, it's I mean it's it's different with everybody.
1: That's cool. Um, so I I want you to talk about kind of how you got started with Jukebox the Ghost. I know they were your first band that you managed, um, and you were still an artist at the time. Is that right? When you first kind of met them, were you didn't you play a show together? What what's how did you how did you get to know them? How did you get started as a manager?
0: So when I was, um, when I was in high school, I was a singer songwriter fronted my own band in Philadelphia. Um, my dad actually yesterday sent me a scan of a, of a, an article in 2004 in the Philadelphia city paper that, that was, that was promoting some show I had coming up. He was (laughs) like, check out what I found. That was (laughs) was pretty amazing. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I met Jukebox the Ghost playing a gig with them at um, their college. So they were, I was in high school actually, and they were, they were freshmen at uh, George Washington University. So I drove down to play a gig with them. Cool. I remember standing there in, the, in this cafeteria in front of nobody, but watching them play. And I just thought, oh my God, this band is the best thing I've ever seen. I don't understand... I almost had this like out of body experience being like, I know I'm only 17 years old or 18 years old, but like, this is unbelievable. No, wow. no one should be making music like this. That's 18 <laughs> or 19. This is amazing. So fast forward to my, it was either freshman or sophomore year of college at NYU, um, t- 2005 or so, 2005, 2006. Um, I had a school project to do, which was produce a song for any artist. I invited them up to New York to use our studio space at NYU for free. What were Um, you studying there? I was in the Clive Davis uh, program at um, Tisch. So it was a music production, music business program. Pretty, it was in the early days of that school. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, I, I, my roommate and I at the time produced a song for them, but i I kind of realized while they were on coming up on these you know visits every couple of weeks to work on this music with us, I realized while I was doing it just that I had very little interest in editing the Pro Tools session or figuring out where the mics should be placed. It just was not my thing, and my roommate sure. was doing all that with them, and I was sitting there going like okay, when you finish this first song, like, you know, what's your first show in New York going to be like? And so I, I, I pitched them on it and I said, guys, I'd love to be your manager. Um, I know I'm younger than you. I know I'm just a kid, but I really believe in what you do. Um, I've managed my own band to be, you know, relatively successful in the Philadelphia, you know, Northeast corridor kind of region. And, um, you know, my big pitch to them was I made my own band popular in Philadelphia. Maybe I can use the same approach and help you become popular in Washington, D.C. Um, they said, I don't even know what a manager does, but sure, you can be that for us. <laughs> and that was that was about 15 years ago, which is really wow. insane. Um, and yeah, so that kind of got me started. And, um,
1: and early you know, on I in man- those days when you were uh, did you did you? Kid, like you were in college so did you finish college did you drop out and do that full-time or how did, how are you doing that early on
0: I mean I was lucky enough to go to a, a college that supported being a, ma- a manager right that was they mm. they wanted to see I remember actually early on um, at NYU our professors really trying to beat home to us that we should be entrepreneurial with our careers so they said right. You know, this was because I went to school when you know Napster was destroying the right. music industry, <laughs> and everyone was getting yeah. fired. And I was just, you know, oblivious and naive to everything because mm-hmm. you know you had you had the older generation going you know, like, back in the day we used to sell CDs, and I was thinking to myself, we don't sell Juicebox Lego CDs. We just hand them out on college campuses. Who cares? Like, <laughs> help people will buy a T-shirt later. So. Yeah. So but the school I went to, I remember they were my professors, Nick and Lauren Davis and Jim Anderson. They would say to me, you know, don't worry about getting a job, create your job for yourself for when you graduate. Yeah. So I I really took that to heart and, cool. you know, I would just, I managed them all throughout school. Pretty much every school project had something to do with Jukebox the Ghost. There were times Amazing. when I would tell my professors, like, I'd say, guys, I'm really sorry. I know there's an exam next week, but... I don't know jukebox the ghost is playing in la for the first time I have to go to that and they'd say okay you can go you still have to do the exam but you need to write an extra essay on what your experience was like going to la or something I said no problem that sounds so much fun so yeah um so that led me to a day-to-day position when I after I graduated at MCT management where I did day-to-day for uh Rufus Wainwright Fran Lee from the band, Travis, who is an idol of mine. So that was cool. And a few other artists. And, you know, the short version is then I, I found X ambassadors while I was at that company.
1: Um, Before we, you bring ex yeah. X ambassadors, can you explain what a day-to-day manager is? What does that mean?
0: So a day-to-day manager is just the, um, is the support role to the manager, right? I mean, early on in an artist's career, you know, the manager just does everything one-on-one with the artist. So obviously for many years with me and Jukebox the Ghost, and even with me and X Ambassadors and Savoie D'Or and all of these artists I managed, it was me doing everything. So whether it was negotiating their new record contract with their lawyer or doing that kind of big picture stuff, or also, I mean, when I was in college, I was sitting on my computer at... 1am answering MySpace messages for jukebox with you know, so is <laughs> yeah. doing everything. But then yeah. as I've grown my, my company and sort of grown my, uh, in, in my position in the music industry and I have more artists and some more responsibilities, you know, I have a support staff that work underneath me that help with logistics that help with, um, you know, all sorts of things. And, you know, they help me with creative decisions, they help me with, with all that stuff. So it's somewhere between an assistant type role, and also just helping as the sort of functional operations person with anything involved with an artist's career. So when I was doing that for Rufus Wainwright, it was a mix of sending Rufus a daily or a weekly email with his schedule for the next two weeks. And it was making sure his, his website was up to date or anything like that. And you know i'm not doing that stuff for my artists now i have um, multiple day-to-day managers that work for me and then i can use my time and my energy to focus on bigger picture things whether it's yeah i mean anything you know anything that you'd classify it uh here i guess
1: right so okay so you said you found ex ambassadors what does that mean how did you find them
0: So I got an email from a woman named Samantha Cox at BMI. Um, If any of you are that are listening or watching this right now, um, you know, songwriters, I'm sure Ari has taught you, you register with a PRO to help you collect your royalties. And Samantha is an amazing human being who has a love for, for helping artists early on in their career. So Samantha sent me an email and said, This band, um, they were called The Ambassadors at the time. They need a manager. I thought of you because I knew her through Jukebox the Ghost. Um, And uh, she said, check this out. And I remember listening to their first EP. It was called Litost. Um, It was the Litost EP, L-I-T-O-S-T. And I just remember hearing this EP and thinking, God, this this band sounds like they're going to play in arenas one day. Like, this isn't... You know, I was living, whatever, Brooklyn in 2009 or 10 or whenever I first heard them. And a lot of the artists I was hearing in bands were, seemed to me like they were thinking very small. And then I heard X Ambassadors and I just thought, God, this could be bigger than Coldplay or U2 or something. So she introduced me to them. I love the EP, met with (laughs) them. Um, they told me that all of these, a bunch of managers were, uh, were chasing them and stuff. So I, I went to see them play, um, was blown away by their performance. And there was probably five people in the room. Where so was this? Went up five people? <laughs> this, was, this was at a venue called Tammany Hall in New York. Um, okay. How are
1: managers chasing a band when they're only bringing five people to a show in New York? I don't understand
0: that. Well, here's the thing. So I went up to them and and Sam had just finished singing and the band was was breaking down their gear and I said, "Guys, I'm so in. That was so amazing. Like, can I be your manager?" And Sam said, "Absolutely. First order of business, there's a girl named Michelle in the back who has a $100 check. Can you go grab it for us?" And I said, "Okay, I'll do it." So I ran and got the check for them. And then you know, and then we started working together. And I think about a year later, one of them said to me, Seth, there were no other managers. There was there was maybe one we were kind of talking to, but they were like, We just really needed a manager. So we just decided to to play you. <laughs> you gotta play that game a little bit. Look at those little white lies. Okay. <laughs> and I'm glad they did. Um, I'm glad they did. But yeah, playing uh,
1: a little hard to get, I like that. I like that. Well, everybody take notes. Sometimes you need to play a little hard to get.
2: Okay. They even
0: even did something where, this is funny, they used to have a fake email address for a fake manager that they invented to email venues in New York. So actually, when I started working with them, and I booked them maybe before they had a booking agent, I helped them book a gig at the Mercury Lounge in New York, and um, the guy who was booking shows at the Mercury Lounge came up to me and he said, oh, that's so cool you're working with the ambassadors, whatever happened to whatever this fake name was. And I didn't have the heart to tell him that that guy was fake. So I was like, ah, they got rid of
1: him, you know. Uh, <laughs> dude, I, oh no. I did that shit early on in my career. I created a fake uh, booking agent, manage, uh, created a fake manager and was booking some shows that way with William. William Miller, I got the name from Almost Famous, you know. the, the yeah. Yeah, I was, <laughs> So I was, it was William at Ari which is the email, which I, I believe still still exists. And I was booking a lot of shows and started making connections and relationships as William. And I got into real hot water once where I booked this, uh, I, I booked a show at a high school for some like big spring event that they were throwing for the entire high school play. And they wanted Ari to come play. And so, William, and then this, like, it was right in town. And so, like, oh, William, will you be there? and like because like william was negotiating with these these high school girls and they got like they became friends and like talking on the phone and they became really good friends with william and so uh, as william i'm like yeah i'll be there and so then i'm like how am i gonna do this so i asked my friend who's not in music at all he was pre-med and uh at college because we were in college at the time and i'm like yo can you be my manager for the day? And he's like, what does that mean? What's a manager? I'm like, just, just get in the car. So I get in the car. We had an hour drive to the, to the high school. I printed out all of the emails. I'm like, here, study up. <laughs> this is who you are. And this is the <laughs> relationship that you had with everybody. And uh, and then we, like, interacted. And then these girls started showing up to my shows that my friend Sean was also showing up to. And they knew him as William. It was this weird mess. I, like, I'd have to run up to Sean before I'm like, dude, you're William tonight. What? I'm like, You he spun a waiting. deep web
0: of lies, I see. You oh, know. my so gosh. He I'm, got it. I'm like, you know what?
1: I, I, I Like... At some point, I don't know if that's a good idea to continue to use that alias. I, where do you fall on the alias?
0: <laughs> what do you hey, think, you think? I think do it early on. It helped ex Ambassadors. Um, it okay. can
1: help you. <laughs> great, great. I, I've been on the fence about that ever since because man, when I eventually told those girls, because they became super fans and they started showing up to every show and Sean was there and I just like had to break it to them. I broke their hearts. They felt like they felt <laughs> deceived, but they also just like felt <laughs> stupid. And I'm like, oh no, it's not your fault. It's my fault. I'm the asshole here. Well, ex ambassadors
0: fired the fake manager before you it got go. too late. Just so, fire you know. them.
1: Just don't ever let them meet anybody and just get rid of them. <laughs> okay, cool. That's great. Um, so so when you met ex-ambassadors, they were playing to five people. Um, wh- how did you kind of take them uh, from five people in New York uh, making $100 at that show, which is a lot for bringing only five people, uh, to, you know, over what? like billions of streams hits on the radio, uh, touring, playing every venue imaginable and, and for a point being like one of the biggest bands in the world.
0: I mean, for them at first, I took the path that we took with jukebox, the ghost, which was, you know, at at this time, I mean, the music industry, the music industry has changed so much where at that time, the idea of making any money off of your masters or your publishing was so far fetched to me that all we thought about was touring. So, mm. so, you know, at that time, Jukebox the Ghost had kind of um, planted their flag as a as a band as a live band that did really well, especially in the Northeast, in the Midwest, in the Southeast, and whatnot. They were just kind of doing this this loop in their van all the time. And, they, and were you they looked probably- at it as? Sorry, I was going to say we almost would look at it as like a, it like a hurricane. Like it would start here and then it would just, the, the, the circle would get bigger and bigger and bigger. And eventually they started touring the West coast and internationally mm-hmm. and stuff. And, um, you know, I just took that approach with X ambassadors at first. It was, your music's great. Let's find every opportunity for you to get in front of people, open for bands, play at bars, whatever, you know, go stand at the merch booth afterwards, shake the hands, like do the thing. Um, I mean, we had, we had lofty ambitions, you know. I think we thought this band should be on a major label and we want their songs on the radio. How do we get there? And But really, it just started as putting them on the road as much. And as this we is fit.
1: like, we're talking, what, 2010, 11, around that 2011, time? 2011, I think, yeah. 2011. Yeah. Okay. So, that, I mean, that makes sense. But that's, that's really interesting because um, we're still in the heart of YouTube at that era. Facebook, MySpace was kind of dead at that point. Um, and you know t- Twitter um, and but you're still you like on the road like play as many shows as you can
0: and uh, where are they based? They were based in New York and okay. they owned oh, so a van know. yeah and um, and you know at the same time they also um, we 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 also knew that their songs were just really fit for for film and television actually mm-hmm. and so I put a lot of energy early on into hiring some third party people to help get them syncs. And, um, and that was one of the big first things for them. Cause they, we had a sync that led to a small publishing deal with, um, songs publishing, which it was sold. But, um, mm-hmm. we were working with a great guy named Greg Johnson and a woman named Carrie Ann who, you know, when I first met Carrie Ann, she said, I really think this song, this stuff's going to work great in film and television. And she was right. We, they were our publisher. Um, and yeah, that a number of things sort of happened from there, which was, they had a song in One Tree Hill, which led to, uh, a, it was, I mean, this is the really short version, but which led the song in One Tree Hill led to them ending up on someone's personal Spotify playlist. This is when Spotify was brand new and yep. before editorial playlists had launched. Yep. So ends up on this playlist, a radio DJ in Virginia was friends with that person or or listened to her playlist or whatever, played their song in the radio in Virginia. That song, song blows up in Virginia, right? Wow. And I'm getting emails from this radio station in Virginia and I think I was on vacation visiting my now wife in London um, mm-hmm. and I remember getting these emails thinking like oh this is some college radio station I'll get back to them later about this song you know this this can't be anything big then I get an email from a friend at Universal Republic who says, dude, do you see what's happening with X ex- and or with the ambassadors in Virginia? And I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't know, crap, should I check this out? Okay. <laughs> and then I and then I do a little digging and then I read some more of these emails from this station. And they're like, we're getting calls every day for, to play this song. We're playing it 80 times a week, but it's not registered anywhere. So it's we it's not in media base and this and that. Like, and I went, shit. Oh shit, like I better, <laughs> we better jump on this. And you know, so it was just a whole weird chain of events and that, the kind of, um, the heat from the song blowing up in Virginia, again, the weirdest part about this is the band has zero connections to Virginia, you know, <laughs> right. they were, we were, they were starting to tour around the Northeast and whatnot. And then we would, uh, you know, it was, it was insane, actually, they would drive down to Norfolk, Virginia, we'd get in a van, they would headline to maybe 15, 1600 people sold out in Virginia wow. And then we'd go back to New York and they could barely sell out the Mercury Lounge. And we were like, this is like an alternate universe. <laughs> with a couple, and All of that, all of that led to signing with, you know, Kid in the Corner, Alex the Kid's label. Mm. Um, and you know, a, a bunch of things happened from there, but even, even through major label deal and all that stuff, our focus was early on, it was just put on a great live show, make great music and hit the road. Um, mm. And we did that, you know, from probably 2011 till 2015, just the band was just grinding it. You know, they were, they opened for, they opened a tour for Jimmy Eat World. They opened a tour for Local H. They opened a tour for Panic at the Disco. It was just like,
1: So I want to know early on um, with, with X Ambassadors or Jukebox the Ghost, uh, speaking of opening tours, um, How did you work and help them get these opening slots on these tours? Because I know that's something that a lot of artists really, really want. Were you like, hey, they can draw 1,500 people in Norfolk, Virginia. Like they can really help your draw. Or what was the pitch early on and how did you make this happen? Real quick, I want to let you know about DistroKid. Well, I'm sure you already know about DistroKid, but they are partners with Ari's Take, and they are a great company that can help get your music distributed to Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Title, Instagram, all of that. Over a million artists use DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I have distributed some of my music in the past. And something I appreciate about DistroKid as not just an artist, but someone who studies this space is they have been one of the most innovative companies over the last 10 years. They came in and completely changed the game. One of the first companies offering unlimited uploads, and now most of the other distributors have had to change their policies to kind of copy and follow suit uh, what District Kid was doing, and the industry had changed, of course. District Kid doesn't keep a commission. That means you keep 100% of your royalties and earnings from the DSPs. They also offer payment splitting. They call it splits, something that for me at this point is a deal breaker. I don't want to have to cut checks to all my collaborators and the producers and everybody else that is owed royalties and owed splits from my earnings. DistrictKid will cut those checks directly. You can get them to uh, your collaborators to sign up, and then DistrictKid will cut all the checks to all your collaborators, and they were one of the first to offer that of the DIY self-service distributors. Kid continues to innovate. Check them out. If you need to get your music out there, districtkid.com.
0: I mean, yeah, it was, it was, it was constantly telling managers or agents, you know, they're worth this many tickets in this place. So I see that your tour is going through Chicago and Cleveland and here. And I'll be honest, they've never played Cleveland, but they sold 100 tickets in Chicago. And, you know, we'd love to open for you that that's kind of how I approached it early on with mm. both of those artists and and with jukebox that goes specifically, they had such a buzz in in the northeast corridor that what we would do when I use that hurricane analogy is we had like the eye of our hurricane was um was philadelphia boston d c New York, so we would often find these artists that did really well in like atlanta or or chapel hill or you know in the southeast and we'd say hey, can Jukebox come open for you guys in the Southeast? You can come open for us in the Northeast. So there was a lot of that going on. You know, eventually we got, um, eventually for each band, we got booking agents that helped us pitch for things. But I was just relentless with with that sort of stuff. I mean, the first really big tour that anyone got on was Jukebox the Ghost getting on tour with Ben Folds. And... And the reason that happened is I had sort of just, you know, I mean, and this goes for everyone who's a student in the school right now. I mean, there's a lot of information out there that's really easily accessible and you can piece together people's email addresses and figure out names and how you contact people. So I I don't remember exactly how, but I think I would, I got in touch with Ben Folds Management and I would just say, see you're going on tour or, or, um, I I think it started with, I see Ben Folds is playing at GW. Well, like Jukebox the Ghost, they go to GW. They get compared to Ben Folds 5 and blah, blah, blah. So can we get them on this show? And it was a no. And then it was, okay, what about this date? Can we get them on this date? No. And then I think maybe a few months later, someone from Ben Folds management had emailed me kind of laughing. And they said, you know, Jukebox the Ghost gets compared to Ben Folds so frequently, we get all the Google alerts for it. So Ah. Ben has finally checked out their music and thinks they're great. So would they want to open these six shows? And we went, amazing. That's amazing. Um, um, And, you know, and with X Ambassadors, similarly, I mean, some of the bigger tours they got were really, I mean, they have a booking agent named David Galea, um, United Talent, who has been with them almost as long as I have. And he was also blown away when he first saw them at one of their early shows. And, you know, he just hustled for them and, to, to be honest, I think it was, you know, getting them on a panic at the disco tour or whatever was just relationships and being able to show that they were worth some amount of tickets and, you know, we got lucky. I
1: love it. There's a lot of big takeaways here and um, the, the uh, persistence is key, like number one, but also being able to offer something in return. I think a lot of artists too early in their careers are like i gotta get on an opening uh, tour and that'll that'll change my whole life and my whole career it's like yes but maybe you're not ready for that because it's too early and you're saying well they could you know they could sell 100 tickets in chicago can you, can you sell hundred tickets anywhere? And if the answer is no, well, then you got to figure out how you can, so you can offer something. And I love that you did a lot of people early on do show trades, but you were doing tour trades come open for yeah. us in the Northeast we will open for you in the Southeast. And then the relentlessness, I got to tell my story. Speaking of Ben folds, you know, um, early on when I was, um, I, I was, I was in Minneapolis at the time and, and we had heard Ben folds was doing a tour, uh, Midwest tour and mostly colleges and like Ben Lee was his opener. And word got out that Ben Lee had to cancel one of his shows in Minnesota. It was at Gustavus College and uh, it was a big show. And word got out to everyone in like the Midwest area that Ben Folds is in need of an opener for that one show. <laughs> and so I'm um, everyone is submitting. Everyone's submitting or, you know, submitting or whatever. And like, I had a college booking agent at the time. And I'm like, yo, can you submit me? Like, get me on the show because it's out of college. We're not hearing anything. I'm like, fuck it. I'm taking it in my own hands. And so I started going down the Google, Google rabbit hole. I'm like, who's Ben Fold's manager? How is this happening?" So I looked it up and I found an article that like had interviewed Ben Fold's manager. And then I like figured out his email. I like did a lot more Googling, figured out this dude's email. I emailed him. I'm like, Hey man, I uh, saw that Ben Folds in need of an opener. I'm a huge fan. Uh, you know, it's Gus Davis. I've, I've done this. I could, you know, sold this tickets, blah, 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 blah. did the whole pitch of, of cause I, at the time I was pulling really heavy in the Midwest. And I'm like, Hey, can I open the show? And it was a college show. So they didn't really even need the, the ticket support, but either way, he gets back to me. He's like, Oh, Hey, I don't actually manage Ben anymore. But uh, Kelly does. And I've I'll uh, I'll make the intro right now. So then he intros me to his new manager. And he's like, Hey, this is Ari. Like he's he's inquiring about this show there. And then so she because wants to keep that good relationship with this dude, like, Oh, yeah, okay, thanks. And like, within two days, I was confirmed for that for that show, when every band in the Midwest was was pitching to try to open that one.
0: Yeah, I think, I think persistence is key. And I think it, persistence without... There's obviously a fine line to, be, but to being persistent versus being annoying. But, yeah. you know, at the, but, but also, I mean, I don't know. As long as you're, you're keeping information concise and, and being yes. respectful of people's time. I love persistence. I mean, I think most people that work in the music industry, unless they were just like handed some job by their dad or something like most people know that they had to hustle get where they are so they'll mm-hmm. give the time of day to someone else that's hustling for something so i mean i tend to i read pretty much every email that comes in i don't always respond to everything but you know i get emails all the time will will JP Sachs listen to this song I wrote for him to cut or, or will <laughs> X ambassadors take this song that I wrote or beat or something? And I'll, I'll usually respond and just say, sorry, that's, they're not, they're not doing that, but I, uh, Hey, I checked out your song. It's cool. Like keep in touch, you know, because nice. also I think that, I think that um, maybe a, a takeaway here for sort of aspiring managers or, or music executives or, or whatever is that, I don't know. I think that at least smart people in the music industry know that that the next great artist or manager or or booking agent or label founder is probably you know twenty years old somewhere <laughs> out there right now. So it's kind of like you better give those people the time of day and at least at least acknowledge that maybe they they're trying and um. And yeah, I mean, I just think it's I think it's important for for younger people in the industry to have that sort of sort of confidence to 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 reach out and to just at least try.
1: I love that, and you don't want to burn any bridges. Uh, you know, don't like if somebody doesn't get back to you. I, this happens to me all the time when people email me. I mean, I get thousands of emails a day, and people email me, and then like I'll get an, another email, or I miss the first one. They email me, and they're like like, oh, so you're too cool to respond to me now, Ari? I'm going to remember that. And words getting out is like, you know, you're just, uh, you don't care about anybody anymore whatever. I'm like, dude, I'm A, missed your email. B, like this on the list of priorities that I have to do every day is so far down on my priority list. Now, on the flip side, if somebody emails me, and I don't get back, and then they email me again, politely follow up, and I don't get back, and then they politely follow up again. And like on the sixth time they follow up all from the same thread, I'm just like, oh crap, all right, I gotta get back to this person. Like they've been so great about following up, and like I really, and so then I carve out time, I'm like, ah, I'm gonna get back to them, and I do, and I get back with a thoughtful response. But sometimes it takes six follow ups, and I've found that like, I've gotten a response on the other side of that from virtually anyone in the industry, by taking that approach, polite persistence, not annoying persistence, not burning that bridge, not Not passive-aggressive,
0: not yeah. anything, you know? And I think, no. like, like I said, I mean, you, you sort of, I don't know, I, I try to be as good as I can based on how much time I have in the day to, to right. younger people in the music industry, new artists, everything, because also, look, I, I remember the people who gave me the time of day when I was just starting out. And now as I grow as a, as a, you know, manager and run my own business, like I remember the people that were really cool to me early on. I also remember the people who were assholes to me. So, (laughs) you know, but like, and look, I'm sure there's also people that were like, Oh God, Seth Callum. And he was 20 years old. He used to annoy the shit out of me. He would just text me and email me. And I'm sure I learned my balance of, of, of how to be persistent versus, just be respectful and stuff, but mm-hmm. you know, like I said, I think that um, you, you got to sort of, as a new ar- manager or artist or whatever, just know that there's nothing wrong with with being confident and sort of not being shy with what you're trying to do. You know?
1: Yes, I, I love that, and and it's it's hard. You know, I, I'm still, um, you know, I, I still have that balance. Um, as artist businessman you're like i'm still an artist i released a song yesterday um, and did the whole artist thing i'm still doing the artist thing and i when we're performing you know shows are back on i'm still performing and it's funny the shift that i have to go through the emotional and mental shift jumping from like businessman managing and running a business and helping other artists and consulting other artists and teaching them and encouraging and inspiring and like guiding. And I have no problem with that. And like an artist comes to me and I'm like, oh, I see your whole path. Let's do this, 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 and this. No problem. Let's do this. I'll, I'll send out this person. And like I turn into manager role. Then when it flips it and it's myself and I like, yeah. I have to put my shit out, I'm like, I don't know what to do. I can't. Everyone hates me. I'm worthless piece of shit. And
0: it's like well, to be honest, frankly, that's kind of why I, I sort of when I used to be an artist, I sort of knew I kind of it's almost like I had this weird epiphany for an 18-year-old, like yeah. the fact that it was so self-aware, but I, I knew, for me at least, I was like, "God, I love. I love talking with Jukebox the Ghost and figuring out their path. And, mm-hmm. and that still applies to X Ambassadors, to J.P. Sachs, to Great Good Fine Okay, to Mink, to whoever. Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, back then I was still releasing my own music. And I remember thinking like, God, the rejection I feel oh. for myself as an artist is just so painful <laughs> versus <laughs> not that it's not painful for, for an artist I work with, but I can at right. least compartmentalize it a bit and be like, you know, again, early on for Jukebox the Ghost, sending their music, trying to get them booked into some... I remember it was like we were always trying to get them playing at the Black Cat in D.C. The Black Cat kept saying no. If that was me trying to book my own music there and my own band there, I probably just would have been heartbroken every time they said no. But with Jukebox, I was like, they're going to think they said no. That's annoying. But they're going to say yes. I'm going to get them to say
1: yes. (laughs) Because (laughs) it's it's not your Art. Yeah. That's the biggest thing is this like art to an artist is extremely personal and any kind of rejection, even if it's somebody passing on booking you at a venue, which seems very innocuous to just somebody with all their wits and, a, and with a business mind, to an artist, it's like they hate my art. They hate my music, which means, which is a direct extension of who I am. So they hate me and they think my art's worthless. And so that means I'm worthless. And, and then just, you start to spiral. And so, yeah, I mean, like, look, one of the biggest
0: pieces of advice I could give to any new artist listening to this right now or watching is simply just find a friend who has some kind of business and marketing and, and, you know, that type of thinking and brain mm-hmm. because, just go let them try to fight these fights for you so that you're not constantly adding so much emotional baggage to the, to the, to the decisions and the rejection. You can just get someone who believes in you to just go to battle. They don't have to be, they don't have to have a bunch of big artists they manage. They don't have to have years of experience at a record label or anything. It's just like, do they kind of know about the music business? Do they get who you are? And do they have read Ari's book? Have they read Ari's book? That's all you need.
1: <laughs> right, right. I love that. Uh, no, but you're so right. And that I, I'm so glad that you said that because, yeah. and, and just telling your story about how you were just a young kid and loved this band, and you're like, I don't really know and they're like I don't really know what a manager does and you're like I don't really either but hey I love your shit and like let's do this together and you partnered up and you did that and I think anyone can find a friend or somebody that just loves them enough or believes in them or even like you know and it doesn't even need to be a full on manager it's just like little jobs here and there it's just like hey you know, someone who says, I want to help. How can I help? It's like, well, I'm trying to book these shows. Actually, if, let me teach you how to do it. Here's the chapter on booking. <laughs> and if you can just right. like try to get these shows booked, uh, that would be awesome. And then they do that. And it's just like, so at least if you know what needs to get done, you can delegate to people who want to help. And maybe it's not a Seth who's like, you're going to be your full manager from the get-go, but maybe it's a, a Tina who just is like, you know, your friend in college or your coworker who's got some extra time and wants to pull away from the kids once in a while or whatever. And she can help out. Um, I want to jump to uh, I, you, We have to talk about JP Sachs. Uh, yeah. he's got like the biggest song in the world right now with the world <laughs> ending. And he wrote the song, uh, uh <laughs> if the world was ending, you'd come over, right? Um, and, uh,
0: <laughs> but you shouldn't come over cause it's against, don't rules. come over
1: actually. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Stay home. <laughs> but, um, so on a, before, before we get into kind of how you guys connected on a personal note you know uh this has been really cool to watch jp rise to uh fame and see this song take off like i used to book him used to like a year ago um at uh hotel cafe monday mondays like we would play the songwriter showcase together i booked the showcase once in a while um and we I, and I, like i remember the first time seeing him i didn't know him uh, I was at a Monday, Monday. This was not one that I was hosting. I was just, uh, I don't know if I was playing or just happened to be there. Didn't know who this dude was. This uh, ginger gets up on stage and he, uh, and he's like, yeah, I'm uh so I just went through a breakup and uh, you know, I saw it's really fresh. I was just at a show at the Roxy and I saw her there and it was really tough. And it was weird playing this little game about like avoiding each other this was two nights ago and i wrote this song yesterday and he plays the song and it was same room and everyone in the room there were maybe 50 people in the room everyone in there was in tears by the end of the song and i'm looking around i was in tears and everyone around like and he goes to the green room i jump into the green room right afterwards and i'm like dude i give him a big hug we'd never met before i give him a hug i'm like dude that song, that is incredible. That hit me so hard. I feel for you. I'm so sorry. I, I and like, thank you for, for sharing that with us and opening up. And like that song is incredible. And and I quoted a couple lines from it. And, and like, you know, he, he even told me like months later, right before he was going to release the song, he hit me up. He's like, Ari, you know, like, Those words that you said to me, like that little conversation, like was so meaningful. It was one of the reasons that I I actually decided to release the song. And I'm like, holy shit! And and then, and I'm like, you know, never underestimate the power of the words that you have to an artist after they play a song a new song for the first time and i know when i'm on stage and after i play a song the first person i don't care who you are whatever you have to say about that song i take that as gospel (laughs) for better or worse (laughs) you know but um so it's like been really cool to watch jp go from you know playing to 50 people in la at at a songwriter showcase that they didn't buy tickets for him just happened to be in that room. And I think he even on that same show, he's like, yeah, I just got back from playing from New York where 15 people came out to see me. And, um, you know, to now having one of the biggest songs in the world and cracking top 40 radio and doing that whole thing. So when did you get involved with JP? How did you meet him and how did you kind of take him from that to what it is now?
0: So I met JP, um, right at the end of last year. Um, and, and to be honest, I I can't really take a ton of credit for uh, everything that's happened before that because end
1: of 2019.
0: And yeah, so I met him at the end of 2019 and, and Mm -hmm. he's just been, um, you know, from, from what I've now learned getting to know him and talking to friends, he's just one of those artists that's just been hustling his ass off for years. Right. He's been doing all the things that I saw Jukebox the Ghost do early on, or X Ambassadors do early on. It was just write songs, make music, play as many shows as possible. You know, share your your art and your music with the world. Mm-hmm. So when I I met him end of twenty nineteen, he had just parted ways with his former manager, and um, if the world was ending, had just come out maybe maybe like a. Month earlier, um, and it was definitely showing signs of, of this could be a very big streaming song.
1: Um, and at the time, so, he was with a label when that song came out, right?
0: Yeah, so actually, to rewind a little bit, technically, the first time I met him was earlier that year. Um, I was at you know, back to my talking about how I go to everything as a traveling manager, I was at South by Southwest with mm-hmm. a couple of our artists are playing, and um. Myself and Sam from X Ambassadors were just like walking around Austin and we went to go see. um, We went to a showcase hosted by my old roommate, a guy who runs a label called Neon Gold Records. We went to go see this artist named Yor Smith, um, who is amazing. We love her. Caroline Smith.
1: Yes, love her. Me and
0: Sam were just like, let's go check her out. We like, uh, my friend manages her. Let's go support and see what she's all about, which cool thing about that is you never know what's going to happen. We loved her. She ended up, we ended up taking her on tour with X ambassadors because we thought she was awesome. So I met JP at that show with Sam. Um, I think he and his sort of former manager friend, um, came up to us and started chatting with us and saying, Hey, I'd love to pick your brain because, um, you know, there's a few labels that we're talking to some that it sounds like you've talked to in the past. And we were like, yeah, cool. And I think Sam was like, Oh dude, I'm a fan. Like I've heard your music before, And whatever, brief interaction there. Fast forward to end of 2019. He parts ways with his manager releases if the world was ending. um, And then right around the same time, I got contacted by two friends that work at paradigm who were his agents who said JP was looking for a manager, and also David Massey, who runs Arista Records, reached out to me and said, I, I think you, you and JP would really hit it off. He's looking for a new manager. And again, back to something I said earlier, you know, I tend to think about the people who gave me the time of day when I was, when I was younger. And, and frankly, Over the last seven, eight years, David Massey is one of those people who we we talked about him working with one or two of my artists early on and it never actually worked out. But over the years, whenever I've had a new artist or whenever I was in New York or something and had a free time for coffee or lunch, he always made the time for me and we've just gotten Mm -hmm. to know each other and he's been one of those um, executives in the music industry who has always said to me, like, we gotta work on something together. And and he really followed through. And so he mm-hmm. sent me, he, he reached out about JP and I was like, Oh my God, I, I love JP. Like I've, I've heard the songs he's put out before. I've met him. He's a super nice guy. I'd love to meet him. So I met him in December, um, over the kind of holidays last year, I just made myself really available to him when I was on vacation in Mexico. I was like giving him ideas on the phone and I knew he was, I knew he was meeting with a lot of managers and, and Frankly, I think he was meeting with a lot of sort of heavy hitter managers that manage ginormous, you know, pop stars. So at the time, I didn't really know that. And I'm glad I didn't. I just was like, I'm going to be myself and, you know, go after this with passion and, you know, be real with him and say, look, we're a boutique management company. We have a small team, but we really believe in what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So started working with him in January of this year and all and and it was just it was all systems go you know i knew right away when i met him that a big thing for me is it's not just about the music um it's really about the the people um Mm -hmm. because as a manager at least for my style of management i'm gonna spend a hell of a lot of time with you and i I better like you if i'm gonna be stuck on a tour (laughs) bus or have to take a 3 a.m flight somewhere for something like i better really enjoy getting along with you and you know, and, and some someone once said to me, a friend of mine, he was like, you know, think about when you're, you know, I don't know, when, when, if you do reach the top, like, who do you want to be there with? You know, who do you want to be celebrating with? And JP immediately, I just knew this guy is that type of person. Mm. Um, So, yeah, since January, I mean, January, February, it's only been about six months so far, but obviously it has been a wild experience because... The song was streaming really well. It was starting to bubble up at radio. I came in and, you know, put a strategy together with the team, sort of inserted myself immediately into the Arista team, his agent, his publisher, everyone. And, um, you know, we just kind of went to work right away. And then of course, you know, the song was already doing really well, to be honest, before uh, quarantine and covid kind of took its hold of the entire I'm pretty
1: world sure i'm responsible for like <laughs> four thousand of those 400 million streams uh that, that was me in my car on repeat last december just like it was literally on spotify just like repeat just the one song and just go and every time oh, just, i was in the car it was that song was just over and over it's such a brilliant song and i love like what I love about JP so much is that he says so much with so few words, and it just hits you. It's a fucking gut punch, and it's like it's so incredible because he doesn't have to go on long, streamy, you know, lyrical. No, and it's to get to the it's point. like reading
0: someone's journal too. It's like a yes. notebook, you know, and Ugh. and yeah, I mean. It was funny actually, I remember too, right when I started managing him. So Savoir Doors is another band I manage, and it's this the singer is a guy named Paul Hammer, who's one of my best friends in the world. And he actually texted me, Yo, have you heard this song If the World Was Ending by JP Sachs? This is like the perfect pop song. And I said, I forgot to tell you, I just started managing him last week. And he was like, <laughs> You're fucking kidding me. But yeah. but you know, it's it was interesting. it's been interesting to be a part of because the I think the experience of people being quarantined at home and COVID and all this stuff gave the song another, a, a sort of, I don't want to say a second life because it never really died down, but it just gave the song a whole new meaning. And I don't know. I think people just really connected with it during this time, and then we we really tried to, in a tasteful way, sort of market it and and really lean into this feeling that that we're all having, being stuck at home, and um, mm-hmm. and the lyric is just. I mean, I mean, JP has when this was first starting to really kick off in say February, March, and people were starting to quarantine and stuff. He called me one day, and he goes. Seth, I just want you to know, I didn't ask for this. Like, I didn't I didn't want to have the <laughs> coronavirus anthem, but he's like, but at the same time, I'm really glad it's really resonating with people in a really special way. Um, and um, yeah, and like I said at the beginning of our conversation about uh, the touring world and what I wrote in this medium piece I just put out, the interesting thing for, for me has been, while it's amazing and we're just like, you know, high-fiving digitally all the time about we got this new radio ad or, or we crossed this this peak at streaming and, you know, it's been hard for, it's, it's been sort of hard for me to compute like what it means to have a, a big song and a big moment without seeing him sing it in front of people. I mean next week, or maybe it was this week, he was supposed to start his first US tour. It was 100% sold out, small venues, it was Bowery Ballroom in New York, it was the Troubadour in LA, it was all ready to go he was supposed to be i mean he was supposed to be playing in hyde park this summer you know he was going to be opening for a massive massive artist that i probably can't even say but he you know there was all these things that were supposed to happen and i was on a personal level and he too was just so looking forward to like for me it all kind of makes sense when i go here we are at the troubadour lights go down Pete, there's 500 people crying with their lighters up singing if the world was Ending." you know so now we're like well, sh- well shit what do we like how do we digest this right now so you know mm-hmm. i'll i'll report back when the first show happens but it's been but it's been a really gratifying experience and his his team at arista is just honestly incredible like they're really kicking ass as a new major label um David Massey is an amazing leader the team there is just fantastic they're bright they're having fun they have ideas all the time um and JP is honestly just one of the hardest working people i know i mean he does you know th- there's obviously a bit of luck and timing with anything but you know never underestimate just what grinding and putting in the work will do for you he says he never says no to an interview, to a thing we ask him to do for us for an important fan or for hey JP, I need you to send this video thanking this specific, you know, music director at a radio station in Minneapolis because they really believed in you from the start. Can you send in this or can we do this? And he's always have he always has amazing ideas that we run with and it's just been awesome. it's been a lot of fun.
1: He's not too cool for anyone and and not uh that, that's great. He's stayed hum, humble. And and that's something I've seen with a lot of artists uh, who, you know, had to put in the time and the energy and the grind and they grinded it out. And, you know, you you, you remember where you came from and you remember that, that uh, everyone can like be an important, have an important effect on your career. And it's like, you're not too big for anything or anyone and it's
0: all there you know he right when we released the hold it together ep um yeah this whenever that happened a couple months ago um we did a little secret release party for him at a place actually in atwater village this is where i live that was very convenient called club (laughs) tg um and and he, what he did for the release party, which I thought was really special and a few friends pointed out to me how unique and special it was. He was like, man, I don't want to, to be sort of like, I don't want just to be like up there performing for 45 minutes for everybody. Be like, look at me, look at the CP. He's like, I just want to have a gathering with some of my closest friends. A lot of them are songwriters. I want to showcase them, right? I want to, and, and he got up at the beginning of the night he played one song. We were all at a, like an open bar kind of thing. We were all hanging out. And he just would introduce a friend. They would get up and they would perform their song in front of like these industry people and friends yeah. and whatever. And then another one would play and then another one would play. And then he ended up playing one or two songs. Mm-hmm. And I think it was just really – it just gave me a little peek into si- in, inside his – mind which is he really values the the people that have helped him get to where he's he is now and he knows he has a long way to go still and we all do but um you know i think it's just it's just important for everybody to acknowledge that you gotta you know you gotta be good people you gotta be pay it forward to the people that have helped you out and help them out you know he's like even when it came to planning his tour for this year that hasn't happened i mean a lot of the shows were sold out so it didn't really matter who opened for him but his first thought was just okay i want this friend to open for me here and i want this friend to open for me here and this would be so much fun because this is their hometown they can play with me here and i want to help them you know because i don't know they were the first person to like put me in a studio session in la or they did this or that so um so great it's been a lot of fun
1: love that well, Seth, thank you so much. Um, we're going to take a couple questions now uh, from people who are here from Ari's Tech uh, Academy students. Um, we have a question now from uh, Sophia Kors. So- um, actually,
2: I actually have three questions. I don't know if I can ask, ask them all. That's the
1: first one. Let's see. I'll cut you off if
2: we. Okay. <laughs> so um, I've, I've been working with someone um, I met at school, and they're a fourth year commerce student. But they're also very, um, like he started his own real estate business. He's very entrepreneurial. He's done a lot of e-commerce and stuff. And he's very, very on board and has been giving me a lot of good ideas. Like he gave me a fundraising idea. He's done a lot of things to secure my brand, like help me secure my brand, like things like that. And he's really eager to learn and stuff. And um, so I, I don't know, like you were saying, it's really good to have a friend with that mindset to kind of help propel you to do all those things and like, to bounce your ideas I guess off other people so I don't know I guess what's the best way to move forward with that and how can I help him support him and how can we work together better as a team
0: this applies to anyone being a manager and really doing anything in life I guess (laughs) but you know you should remind him to always stay humble and always be asking questions I think one of the most important things a manager can do is just ask lots of questions of, of people and read and, and read blogs and all that kind of thing, because, you know, the music industry is changing every five minutes, it seems. And I, to this day still, you know, I've, I've had a decent amount of success and there's a lot of things I still really want to do for myself and for my artists, but, you know, it's just all about, kind of knowing what you don't know is really important and not bullshitting too much. Obviously there's always a little bit of bullshit. Like I'll pretend I know things that I don't really, but it's just really knowing what you don't know. And you know, for me, there's still, there's constantly things that I'll call a lawyer or call another manager friend or call a booking agent and I'll say, "Hey, I don't really get what this is. I don't know what this means. Can you, can you teach me about it? Can you tell me what this thing means? Or I heard someone talk about, you know, like D to C campaigns for ticketing, and you sometimes I'll you know I might be like I don't know what D to C stands for. Like, can someone explain that to me? Like, phone a friend. You know, so so I think that the best the best advice I could give to both of you would just be to ask a lot of questions, honestly, and um, you know, I think that that's going to help you two build a a deeper level of trust too, because, you know, you know, he doesn't know everything, right? So you know that if you're like, Hey, I want to do this. And he goes, yeah, yeah, I know exactly what that means. You know, deep down that that's bullshit. So you'd rather have someone working with you that goes, you know what, I'm not sure, but that's a good question. Let me go find out. I still to this day, whether it's JP or ex ambassadors who are two really established artists, they call me with things all the time that, Sometimes Sam from X Ambassadors will be like, yo, I want to connect with this person at this company. And like, you know, what is it, what would it mean if we did this thing with them? Right. I mean, that's vague, but I'll say, that's a really good idea. I have a friend I could ask about that. I'll give me till like, I don't know, Thursday. I'll I'll call you back. But like, let me just ask a few friends about what they did in this scenario, or 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 I'll ask a friend to connect me to this person or whatever. So Um, And I think that's advice for for him, you know, is that's built a really strong level of trust. And for me and my artists, because they always know I'm gonna be honest with them. They know that I'm not gonna pretend to know something I don't, which could then possibly harm them somehow. I'll always say, I don't know. Give me a minute. Cool.
1: Thank you. That's great, Seth. Um, Right on. Uh, Hannah, how's it going, Hannah?
3: Uh, I'm also manager of uh, alternative rock band so it was very useful to hear all these advices you said for artists and for manager and um, uh, you know we had some success with scene placements With uh, we, they played some shows at 400 venues, they sold out. But we are uh, based in Moscow, and I feel a little bit that we are a little bit stuck there. Uh, We don't have, you know, a lot of things in terms of music, in terms of uh, managing the artists, which uh, go uh, go around us. So I'm with all my mind, you know, in the LA, in the US, I'm trying to meet people online to make as much as possible, run digital ads, you know, find, sync uh, agents uh, but if you would be on my uh, on my place what would you focus on because um, 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 do we do you think we need to try to find uh, maybe an independent label a partner who will love our music as much as we love it
0: I, I would say um, that in this uh, this logic applied to jukebox the ghost early on it applied to ex ambassadors early on and it applies to any band really i would say hope focus extremely locally right now like make your band the biggest band in moscow right do whatever you can to just make them whether it's shows when they can happen again like make them popular locally within russia um try to contact radio stations build a relationship with um you know the different DSPs, like whether it's Spotify or Deezer, or I know there's a few others in, in Russia that I'm blanking on the names for. But, and I think that, you know, music is so global right now that no one cares where an artist is from when they're clicking on it on Spotify. So, you know, you've so much, there's so much in your control as an artist and a manager right now where, you know, if you, if you guys find a way to to build some sort of relationship with someone at Spotify, for example, in Russia who handles rock music, if they're an alternative rock band, and they champion you locally, the implications of that around the world can be truly amazing because, you know, you can see a song suddenly travel like, I don't know, I'm really good friends with uh, a guy named Bjorn who manages Milky Chance, right? They're from Germany and, you know, their song started out bubbling in Germany and it was, you know, moving around the charts on German radio and German Spotify and German Apple music. And then it kind of spread to the rest of Western Europe, then spread to Eastern Europe, then a label in the U S signed them and released the song here and took it to radio here. And so I think that it's, it's, there's, there's really something to be said to be with the goal of being like, we want to become the biggest band in Moscow. Right. Or we want to become, the biggest band in Russia, because then, then all of those things that even Ari and I were talking about with trading shows and trading tours, they can start to you know, that, that can start to spread from there. You know, if your band is, is, that you manage is really popular in, in Moscow, for example, you might become friends with a, another band that does well in St. Petersburg and another one that does well in Kiev and another one that does well in Belarus or something. And then you can all start doing shows together and build a local regional thing amongst all of these countries. And then the same thing applies to, you know, like I said, music is so global. The Internet is, can, for, for better or for worse, it can be amazing for artists where you can create this, like, world online. Um, and especially if, if, I don't know if the artist is able to, you know, if they sing in English or not. But you know yeah, that so can also help the, the well, music I mean, spread English worldwide. Mostly
3: English-speaking fans as well. Yeah, so
0: I, yeah, I would say I would say put all of your a lot of your energy into not worrying about can I find a, a record label in other countries or something, but really with developing a relationship with champions within Russia. At like I said, DSPs, radio stations, press, whatever, um, and then kind of build that as far as you can around that.
1: Cool. Thank you so much. That was great. Thanks, Hannah. Um, Also, let's see, Nick Diamond Diddy.
2: I know you mentioned um, earlier on about ex ambassadors like going for syncs, getting their songs in um, like shows or films, stuff like that. Um,
1: How do you make this? How do you guys make decisions like um, when you're working with third parties, like where to move forward? Because a lot of times, I mean, I'm just doing Google searches, reading reviews, and it's kind of hard to decipher where like who to work with. Um
0: for Sync specifically, or just with anything?
2: Um Sync specifically, I, I have a song that I've actually weirdly been I never had given it much thought, but been told recently by a bunch of people like, Oh, this would be great for a TV show or something. But so I haven't there, but I guess just sinks and then in general like
0: i mean look i've been doing this long enough that i have a large network of friends so i ask people anytime we're about to work with a company i ask three to five friends what do you think of this company have you worked with them before what's the good what's the bad um i think with the, the truth is that i go off of passion too and that's that's a it's a um it's an unquantifiable thing but you know, if you have music and you're looking for someone to pitch it to, to film and television, I think that, you know, you send the music out to as many different companies as you can find. And um, I mean, I will say, don't let anyone scam you where they're like, yeah, pay us a thousand dollars a month to be able to pitch your songs to film and television. Like then that's a red alert. Walk away from that. Anyone who's going to represent your music for, film and television should just be taking a percentage of if they make anything happen. And, you know, just try to, I'd say send the music out to as many different sync agencies as you can find. There's so many out there who are looking for music all the time. You know, I think that give them some context to what it is like, Hey, listen to this song. Here's the lyrics. It's about, I don't know, heartbreak and, it fits somewhere in the in the middle of this artist and this artist and, you know, could work great in the following five TV shows or if, if, you know, I'm inspired by these artists that are in films a lot or that kind of thing. Um, And just really, you know, you have to, I think a lot of this industry is just built on judgment calls that are, you really don't know half the time, like whether it's going to be the right decision or not. So you just have to try things out and, not sign away the rights for a long-term commitment if if you're just testing the waters with like someone but um but yeah you just have to go and yeah. gut
1: this is a, a long way of Seth saying uh, you should enroll in the Ari's Take Academy Sync Strategies yeah. course. Uh,
0: <laughs> I wasn't. I was under the impression that I was mainly for hip hop, which it, I'm not. It
1: started as a hip hop and sync, but because um, so many people from other genres jumped into that, we've now expanded it outside of every to every genre. And our instructor, Vo Williams, he's had over a thousand sync placements. Um, he's a hip hop artist; that's what we started as a hip hop thing. But we are now um, expanding it. So enrollment's currently closed, but we're going to be opening it up again in a few months to be full on sync strategies to everybody. And yeah, exactly what Seth was saying. Um, so right on. Well, I think uh, we have time for one more question. Um, we've kept here, we kept Seth here uh, a long time, and I really appreciate his. Um, his expertise and and his generosity with all of his knowledge and information. Um, Our last question is going to be uh, from Mark Cruza. Mark, how's it going? Definitely, everybody recommend the the SYNC course if you haven't taken a look at that. Um, So I'm coming from a little different place than maybe a lot of you. Um, I've got a full-time job in IT and I'm kind of testing the waters in the music industry. I've uh, been a musician my whole life. I've just never tried to, uh, you know, make any bank off of it. A um, lot of uh, good suggestions I've heard already. Um, anything that you could give specifically for uh, best bank for your buck as far as time goes? And being this the age of COVID, um, we all have limited time to do live music anyway. Go ahead. So-
0: Um, well, I guess it's a bit of a broad question, best bang for your buck during time of COVID. But I will say that, um, I mean, (laughs) I'm, I'm trying to think of things that are working particularly well at this moment, right? So there's obviously a lot of broad music industry things we talked about. And frankly, um, a lot of the stuff we talked about is about touring and shows and none of that's happening right now. So I will say though that although I think overall streaming is down a little bit, there is, there's certain kind of sides of this world of streaming that have, that have done remarkably well. Um, Ambient music, you know, relaxing music, (laughs) chill out playlists. Um, I find myself listening to a lot of like, lo-fi hip-hop beats at home while i'm working it's relaxing or i listen to spotify's quiet hours playlist or our artist savourador just released a really beautiful um ambient instrumental record called image tapes volume one that i think you guys should all check out it's really cool um so i think that i think that there's an interesting niche right now for artists creating um instrumental music that's 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 pleasing to listen to and that's relaxing and calming. And I think that, um, there's, you know, the interesting thing about the world of streaming and Spotify and Apple music and all these places is you can like, you can just take a taste of anything, right? If you're one day, you're like, man, I've never explored the George Harrison solo catalog, or, you know, I want to like I want to just listen to beats that Jay Dilla made, you know. I'm like, you, you can just do anything and it's all there. So I think that um you can you can kind of just test the waters with lots of different type of types of music. And especially now, I would say there's a there's a bit of a desire, and this might not last forever, but for um, you know, like I think big, big, big pop songs right now people are not the the taste for that in discovering your favorite new dance pop song, unless you're like the new Lady Gaga, Ariana Grande song, which is awesome. You know, unless it's gigantic artists, you know, um, unless it's, unless it's that, I think people are maybe not interested so much in that right now, as far as their new music discovery, they're kind of going towards to listen to um, things that are nostalgic to them and catalog music. But I think there is a bit of discovery happening right now in that um instrumental you know neoclassical uh ambient space which is i'm, I'm finding really interesting because i'm i myself am discovering like some of the coolest music right now because i'm just like i can't you know i'm stressed out i don't want to listen to someone sing or talk or rap like i just want to listen to interesting <laughs> guitar loops over hip-hop beats it's like you know, soothing. So I don't know. I'd say, I'd say take a shot at that kind of stuff. Right.
1: on. sweet. Well, thank you, Seth. Um, I have one final question that I ask every guest that comes on the show. What does it mean to you to make it in the new
0: music business? Well, I guess I have two different answers. Um, there's, there's make it as an artist and make it as a manager. Um, I, I, it remains true to me that (laughs) I I always said, if I can, if I can help an artist have a sustainable self-sustaining life and career off of music, then I feel like we've made it. You know, I think one of my proudest things is that things I've done is that jukebox the ghost has never really had day jobs in the 15 years I've worked with them. They've, I mean, Jesse, the drummer, works at a coffee shop because he likes coffee and just likes getting some extra cash. And he likes talking to people when they're not on the road, so he does that for kind of for fun. But you know, so I think that to me, success is an artist being able to to make a career off of their music. And as far as being a manager goes, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I I guess I can't even answer that because I probably don't feel like I've made it and I will never feel like I've made it, you know, and we've had, we've had top 10 songs we've been a part of and we've had Grammys we've been a part of, but I think that I'm, I'm wired and I'm guessing a lot of managers are wired this way to think about, well, what's next, what's next, you know? And, and frankly, even sometimes I have trouble, um, you know, I I, I take good care of myself and and like to celebrate my my victories and things and always take time to try to whenever anything good happens, just take a minute to be grateful and say like, wow, this is I you know if I told if I told eighteen year old me that I was involved with a Grammy winning album this year, we were involved with Lizzo's album because I love you. Like if I told myself that, or if I told myself that I had an artist headlining. Red Rocks or I had an artist collaborating with Sam Smith like I would I would think well then I'm gonna think I've made it but the truth is that when those things happen for me I'm always like that's so cool like this is great but okay how do how do we keep moving what are we what are we doing next you know what's what's in the future so um So we can do a follow-up podcast when I eventually decide that I've made it. But for now, I don't have an answer yet.
1: (laughs) I love that. That's a great answer. Well, Seth Callen, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate your time and your generosity with your knowledge. And uh, stay safe, stay sane, stay healthy, stay inside.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, thank you, guys. Thank you, guys, so much for listening. And, you know, I'm... Like I said, everybody should be hustling and communicating with people. So feel free to follow me or this fiction on Instagram or something and reach out. Like I'll, you know, when, if I have time, I'll say, hey, for those that are in the class right now or listening
3: in later. But um, thank you guys so much for, for listening. This is
1: brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features, annual fee unlimited uploads and you keep a hundred percent of your royalties check out (laughs) distrokid.com